going to introduce our preacher for this morning. Uh, Jeremiah's been in our pulpit many times, but this is the first time in 2024, so I'll uh, reintroduce him this year. Uh, Jeremiah works full-time for InterVarsity as a local minister of the gospel, a local missionary in town, and we support him doing that, and we also have him here as our pastoral intern. He's being raised up to be a pastor in the flock of Christ um, and trained as a preacher, so please give him your ears this morning. Thank you, Jeremiah. Thank you. Join me in prayer on this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here together and to spend time in your word and reflecting on what it looks like to follow your example of seeking the kingdom and its righteousness first and bearing witness to the glory of your name and the things that you desire to see accomplished in this earth. And so, God, give us ears attuned this morning. Give us minds that understand, hearts that are ready to receive. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength, my rock, and my redeemer. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. I am truly glad to be back before you all here in this pulpit, and what we're going to be doing, we're going to continue our sermon series through the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 18, verses 28 through 40 on this morning, and we're going to be talking about truly what it means to be somebody who is bearing witness to the kingdom agenda. And I'll repeat that again for you, bearing witness to the kingdom agenda. Now, kingdom is a term that's used pretty flippantly um, in our Christian circles and also just throughout the world, and so I want to take some time to define it this morning and give you a little bit of a silly example from my own childhood to kind of set the scene for what we'll be talking about this morning. But this word is usually refers to a state, territory, or country that is ruled over by a sovereign, mainly a king or a queen. And the example I want to use to kind of help us get perspective on that is um, an example from my childhood. So me, my brother, and my sister, when we were kids, we used to love playing with Legos. This was something that we really enjoyed getting to do. And what that would look like is that we would each build our own little worlds in our own rooms. We got blessed to have rooms, and so we would build up our sets in our rooms. And so there was a common rule. If you were not the one who built up that structure, you had no say over what happened in that structure. If you came into my room trying to tell me what I was supposed to do with the world that I had just built up, we were going to have a problem. We were going to have some issues that was against the, the rules because this was my world. This was what I had built up. These were my little Lego people that I was having um, interact in the ways that I wanted them to interact. And that was the structure that we kept. You know, sometimes we would join our world or sometimes we would go to war. But <laughs> just, you know, if we were in that type of mode. But the one thing that we would not do is try to usurp the authority of the other in terms of what they had built. And I think this is something that all of us at some point in time resonate with in our own lives. We try to take ownership of how we want to live, set the direction for the story that we want to see played out. But what I'm here to talk to us about today is that you are not the author of your own story. You are not the one who sets the terms. You are not the one that sets the direction. You are not the one who sets the rules. 
For there is a God who this world he has made. He has designed, he has structured for you to walk in his will according to his glory and seeking after his kingdom. And so let us turn to our passage today in John chapter 18. Turn with me in your pew Bibles to page 904. And this is the text that we'll be spending the majority of our time together in. And here we see the continuation of Jesus' betrayal and subsequent arrest. He and his disciples are no longer discussing his absence or coming death. No, now he has been taken to death's door. And here we see that he has all but been deserted. His closest friends have left him. Peter has denied him. He has stood before the high priest and had false allegations and humiliation thrown his way all throughout the night. And now early in the morning, Jesus is taken from the house of Caiaphas to stand before Pilate, the Roman governor of the province of Judea. And now Pilate, according to the historians from this time, was a man known for his cruelty and injustice and lacked sympathy for the well-being of others. He cared little for the Jews, and this is shown in his um, interactions with them here. He's curt with the Jewish leaders, asking what accusations they had to bring against Jesus. And when they refused to directly answer his question, he was quick to dismiss them and only took Jesus into his headquarters because of their insistence of him being a threat and needing the death penalty. His disdain continues in his conversation with Jesus, analyzing if Jesus is truly a threat to the Roman Empire, questioning if he is truly the king of the Jews, and what he did to make the chief priests that mad. And after concluding that he was not a threat, he brought him back before the people and declared that he had found no guilt in him. But I want to bring us to our first point today. Um, we're going to be going over two points, the first being having vision for the kingdom of God, the second bearing witness to it. And so we're going to center on our first point of having vision for the kingdom by first reflecting on how Jesus was when he stood before Pilate. You know, keep in mind, this man had just gone through a lot. And just plain and simple. I don't know if you've ever had an all-nighter. Um, I've had a few in my day. But uh, they're never really that much fun. The next day, I'm very groggy. My mind is not censored. I don't want to do anything except go back to bed. And this is his case, but expanded infin infinitely. He has held an all-nighter where he's been abused, slandered, betrayed, left out, beaten. And now he stands before a man who's known for his injustice. But instead of folding, instead of losing hope, instead of not seeing the way forward, Jesus stands on what he has come to do. Reflect on what he says here in this passage in verse 34. He makes a claim about his authority. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' composure in the face of death raises the question, what keeps him so calm and focused in the face of such adversity? And the answer that I want us to focus on today is what he has his eyes fixed on, and that is the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't caught up in the worries nor concerns of that present day and age. The political strife and turmoil that had the Jewish leaders and the Romans concerned about his position. He isn't worried about his death ending any physical kingdom on the earth. No, because he understands that his kingdom is far greater than anything else. It's existed before creation came to be, for it is the kingdom of God. 
It is that which carries out the will of his father. It is the kingdom that the angels attend to that we desire to be a part of that which is full of joy, love, peace, and righteousness. And it is the kingdom that will last forever. It is the one that's reign shall be infinite because he who is seated on the throne has conquered death. And so Jesus recognizes that each step that he is taking towards the cross is in the will of the kingdom of God. He's not seeking after anything else. His eyes are not set on anything else. His whole purpose that he is here to accomplish is opening up the doors for people to be able to now have salvation through putting their faith and trust in him. The will of the kingdom of God. And so he remains obedient towards that will. He does not lose focus towards what God has called him to accomplish. And so that's what I want us to really think on today. And Jesus exemplifies setting his eyes on the things above. And he's calling all of us to do the same. His desire for those who belong to him is that they would not get caught up in the concerns, worries, nor desires of this world, but that they will be motivated by a greater vision of the coming kingdom when the Savior will return and set all things under his own rulership to live in relationship with the Father and seek after the joy, peace, love, and righteousness that is found in his kingdom. And I'd ask, what else should we be focused on? What could be more important to you than walking in the will of God's kingdom? The witness of the gospel, telling people what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago when he gave his life. What else are you looking towards that is more important to your life than the kingdom of God? Is it your desire to adhere more to the culture? to listen to the same music that they listen to, to talk the same way that they speak. Is that something that holds more weight to your life than seeking after the kingdom? Or maybe it's chasing after your own dreams and desires. The Lord may have called you to give up seeking after your own will, called you to bend the knee truly, to ask him what he desires you to do in his life, but you can't let these things go. You can't let go of your own selfish ambitions and dreams. You don't have vision for what it would look like for God to be the one who's truly at the seat of your heart and directing where you should go. Or maybe it's sin. You choose to ignore God's design for how you're called to live, God's design for how you're called to interact with others, and you keep holding on to your vain wishes your vain, empty desires and pleasures that don't lead to anything but the grave, that don't lead to anything for you but death. Or maybe it's your fear that God has called you. You've seen the vision. You've understood what it looks like to walk in step with the Spirit, but you're held back by your fear of what it will truly look like for you to surrender all that you have and give God the reins of your life to direct you in the way that he's calling you to go. All of these things, whether it's refusing to let go of sin or control and direction for your lives, illustrates one thing, 
a lack of trust in God. We'd rather keep trying things our own way rather than believing that putting our full faith and trust in Jesus and walking out the agenda that he has set for his kingdom in our lives is the best option. Our pride, our fear, and our rebellious nature takes us out of the goodness of the will of God and down paths of destruction. You know, this is not an uncommon thing, but it is truly the state of the world that we live in. It's been something that has been continuous. Reflect on our reading today from Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8. The Israelite people, those that God had chosen to be his representation of his will, of his glory, of how he wanted people to be in relationship with one another, did not desire to remain in that calling, but instead desired to look and be like the rest of this world. And we saw that then get played out in their history, times of up and down, of seeking after God, but then going back to the world, going back before him in fasting, weeping in tears, but then desiring still to seek after false idols. And we are no better as a people. In our own culture, I'd call it hopeless, the mentality that so many of us walk in surrounding our own lives. We live in a culture where young women feel an option in the midst of them having to bear children that it would be better to kill them than it would be to see what could happen if they have the opportunity to raise that child. We live in a culture where young men walk lost without direction, without vision set for their lives, where they are empty in their desires because they don't have vision for what God would call them into in terms of being somebody who stands on his word. We have a culture where marriage is pushed to the back, something that's a long lost desire, something that is a wayward hope, instead of truly believing that it's something that God would have you walk in. We have a hopeless society, but that's not how God calls his people to live. That's not what it means for you when you say that you are a believer. You're somebody who's supposed to have hope for the coming kingdom of God. Because you recognize that you have put your faith and trust in the one who reigns over all whose reign is infinite, whose glory is expanding eternally, when you say that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, that means that you are desiring to see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven in your life. That in the face of people having less hope, you can say, no, I know that there is a coming day when all things will be restored, all things will be made right because Jesus is coming back. And so when the face towards the child who would say, I have to let go of this baby because I don't see a hope of that child having a good life as they're with me, I tell you to set your eyes on the one who reigns over all. If he's blessed you with that child, know that he will support you, provide for you, and strengthen you to raise them. Know that in all the struggles, the things that God is calling for you to do, trust that if you bend the knee to walk with him, that you will see his will be accomplished in your life and that it is better than anything else that you could seek after. 
you know, I have my own story in that. Now, I was 16 when God called me to do this. When God called me to teach, when God called me to be somebody who would bear witness to his name. And for years I ran. Because I didn't have a vision for that being my life. That was not what I desired to do. That is not what I desired to walk in. And so for years, I forsook the call. I went back into the world, and I saw the vanity of it. I saw the vanity of seeking after our own way, the pain and troubles that come with walking in sin. And so now if you see me standing here before you preaching this message, know and recognize that it's one that's been walked in, and I can testify that relationship with Jesus, seeking his will in your life, is better than anything else that you could do. Because in so doing, you're walking in relationship with the one who loves you more than anybody else ever could. And so I want to bring us in that to our second point today, which is witnessing to the kingdom agenda. Turn back with me to John chapter 18. And let's look at what Jesus has to say in verse 37. For this purpose I was born into this world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus was not walking on this earth with no plan, no intention, no. He came to bear witness to the truth that we are all sinners in need of salvation, that we are people who are in need of the grace of God, and that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but would have eternal life. Jesus bore witness to the plan and will of the Father, the redemption of humanity that had been laid out before the foundation of the world was set, and that he was the Lamb of God, sent to take away the sins of the world. We as a people are called to be like him, to be ambassadors of the gospel, this message that we are saved by the grace of God and reconciled now to him and all people. So my question to us all in that is, are we bearing witness to what he has done? You know, I started listening to podcasts a bit more often. I'm trying to mature myself as a young man. I'm not trying to just be on YouTube and sex talk as much anymore. I'm like, okay, I can do a bit better. And uh, one of the podcasts I've been listening to is called Southside Rabbi. It's by a Christian rapper who goes by the name of KB. It's him and one of his friends. They get on there and they get to talking. I, found, I sound like, I feel like I'm in a theological uh, seminary class just listening to them speak. They're theologians, just true and true. And one of the episodes that came out recently in the midst of me preparing this sermon was called Ministry in the Mundane. And they were discussing the impact of believers truly being missional in all areas of their lives. Because KB, his friend who does the podcast with him, is a young man that he led to the faith. When KB was 16 and his friend was 15, they were working at a grocery store together. And he shared the good news with him. And that led to him giving his life to God and then walking in relationship with Jesus for the past 20 years. And so they continued sharing testimonies about what it looks like for us to utilize the spaces that we're in every day as ministry and how you don't need a clergy title to minister to people about Jesus. And, you know, they gave a statistic that really stuck with me, you know, that we spend a third of our lives sleeping 
and that we spend about a third of our lives working, which means that on that last day, when we stand before our Lord and Savior, one of the things that he's going to judge us on, a third of those things, is going to be how you, in your everyday life, bore witness to the people that you interacted with outside of this space. Your testimony is not bound to this building. Your impact in terms of being a witness for Christ is not found in the two hours that you spend in this building every Sunday. It's found in the everyday walk that you take outside of here. Are you bearing witness about Jesus on the job? When people ask you about your motivations, why you can still maybe have joy in the midst of things not going well, while you're working so hard, while your language isn't foul, are you telling them it's because of what Jesus has done for you in your life? When things are getting hard at home, the kids ain't trying to listen. Your wife or your husband, truly, y'all just can't see eye to eye. Are you bearing witness by seeking peace and being merciful? When your friends are trying to go out, I'm talking to my college students right now. When your friends are trying to go out and party, when they ain't trying to live right, when they ain't trying to live holy, are you somebody who decides to stand firm on the word of God and testify that you cannot go because he has delivered you to walk in righteousness? And are you calling them out of that which you know to be wrong and inviting them to come see who Jesus is? Your life should be a living witness to what Jesus has done. Witnessing about who God is is never a side hustle. It's never just a little part of your life that maybe you can pull out from time to time when you need some evangelism points. No, as a believer, you are called to be a living sacrifice to God, for that is your true worship. All of who you are, all of what you do, how you are meant to be, is to be a witness to who Jesus is and what he has done. All those that you get to interact with every day, Jesus has placed you in their life to be the salt and light, to show them who he is, to illustrate his goodness, his mercy. And so are you living a life worthy of your calling since you have been called by God? You're not called to look like them. You're not called to think like the world. If you proclaim the name of Christ, that means that you are his holy people, his beloved, his betrothed, and that your life is dedicated to helping others see and believe in his name. And so for those that you get to do the project with in class, when it's time for y'all to do the assignment and it's coming to a close, are you also inviting them to come and study with you on the word of God? Those that you work with every single day, do they know that you know Christ? Are they receiving invitations to come unto the assembly of believers? Are they receiving calls of conviction to turn from their sin and give their lives to Jesus? Because again, I'd ask the question, 
What else matters more besides the will of God's kingdom? Now, I'm not saying this to you, saying that, oh, you need to go be evangelist and a pastor. Or you might need to throw everything away and go overseas and evangelize to the lost and the least, unless that's something that God's calling you to do. I don't know. The Spirit would speak to you how he may want to. But what I am saying is that every single day that you have the opportunity to walk on this earth is another opportunity for you to seek the will of God and to testify to what he has done in your life to those who need to hear it. And so again, I would ask and I implore each and every single one of us to recognize the work of our Savior and what he intends to do in this earth. God's agenda, his will, is greater than anything that you could ever seek to achieve. His story, his production, and his plan has been laid out before all time began. You're not called to go make your own. God's will, his vision, must be what you are seeking after. And so submit to it. Ask for a deeper understanding of it and bear witness about it in every place that you go. You don't need to go somewhere new. You don't need to go get plugged into no new ministry. You need to go be a witness where God has placed you. To his name, his glory, and his kingdom. Live a life worthy of the call of being called by God. Amen.